0: Hello all and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics here with the now 90 years young Everald Compton, how are you?
1: Well I'm fine James and I don't feel any different being 90, I think uh, age is just a way of keeping the score somehow, I mean it all depends on how you feel in yourself and if you feel old you'll feel old, if you feel young you'll you'll feel young, and I'm feeling particularly young at the moment, so that's good. And and, and we've got to get stuck into a few things today. Now, I live in Queensland, of course, but you're doing some funny things down there in New South Wales. Uh, So and getting rid of premiers and deputy premiers and mucking around with uh, changing the get-out plan and the whole works. I'm all for upgrading everything. But what do you reckon is going on down there?
0: Um, well, I think, like we said last week, um, Dom Perrottet has had his eye on the Premier's seat for a long, long time now. So he's going to be quite happy he's finally got there. Um, in New South Wales politics, he's always been seen as like the successor to Gladys. Um, and I'm sure he thought with how popular Gladys was, um, it would be a long time coming before he got to take that seat. But he um, something fortuitous fell into his lap by way of... No, <laughs> massive massive corruption on the part of the premier and he um he's managed to sort of fall um, base over apex into the premier's seat at age 39 um he some of his history he was the um member for castle hill then a factional deal sent him to hawkesbury and he became the member for hawkesbury and then another factional deal sent him to Epping. so in three terms he's held three different federal electorates uh he's been the treasurer um some of the, his hits as treasurer included privatizing a whole lot of coal roads. He loves privatizing coal roads, does Dom? Um, and the eye care scandal, which was a scandal around the state's workers' compensation payment scheme, where it was said that he had paid up to 52,000 injured workers, uh, somewhere around the sum of $80 million. So he comes here not without scandal. Um, but the Daily Telegraph, um, when you know, the day he became the premier, was ready to do the heavy lifting, big smiling photo of him with his kids on the front, keys to the King uh, the big headline. So they're doing their best to wash away said scandals and um, wind in the Dom era.
1: Well, well, well let, let's just, just look at a couple of things about him first before he's in politics. I've got to say that as a Queenslander, I hadn't heard of his name except one or two casual mentions. Gladys dominated the scene there. And when they mentioned Perrettay, I had to look up and find out who he was. And I think most Australians were in the same situation now. I, I I do the thing, but with all people who get the job of premier or get some new job, I give them a honeymoon period. Now, whatever is their record in the past, I'm say, okay, I'm going to watch you now to uh, what you're doing, and I'm going to give you a honeymoon period. And I hope you do your best. But if you don't, I'm going to I'm going to whack you. And if you do some good things, I hope I can help you do some good things along. So I'll give him a go for what it worries me that he's a member of the Christian right. I hold, even as an elder of my church, I still hold a very low opinion of the Christian right because I don't reckon they represent Jesus of Nazareth in the slightest. But that's the part he's in. And it's very interesting that we now have a member of the Christian right in charge of New South Wales. We have one in charge of, of Australia federally. Either he and Morrison are in the similar, uh, you know, religious ilk, and that's an interesting, if you want to put it that way, policy. Now, and so whatever his sins are, I, th- I think we'll give him uh, a go. And I think he's got a couple of big hurdles to overcome. Now, what do you think about his plan to get New South Wales out of lockdown quicker than
0: they were in lockdown? Um- Well, there are a couple of tiers to it. Um, The first one that I'll talk about is, is, so they had a certain date for opening schools, um, reopening schools. Gladys brought it forward a week. And then Paratase recently announced he's brought it forward another week. Now, this presents massive logistical challenges for schools um, and for teachers and for principals, et cetera. Because I know, for example, uh, at some schools, they had plans for tradies to come in and do all these refits and whatnot of buildings the week before they were meant to go back. Now, because school's been brought forward a week, um, those tradies can't do all the refits while the students are there, so it's thrown that into logistical chaos. But that's a real masterstroke on his part, because, like, most teachers in public schools in New South Wales, I reckon, are Labor voters, and rusted on Labor voters at that. Um, So... It's just going to, um, for want of a better term, piss off already staunch Labor voters. On the other hand, it'll make parents who are having to homeschool their kids really, really happy because they can get rid of their kids yeah. and put them into the, uh, the school daycare. So I think politically, that's very clever. But logistically, that's a disaster. Um, he's going to get rid of masks in the office at 80%. Um, if that's kept to the office only, I can tolerate that. Um, If he's moving to get rid of masks on public transport and other indoor areas, that would worry me. But he said it's only in the office for now. So uh, unless and until he changes that, Um, again, I'm not a huge fan, but I can tolerate it.
1: Comment on that, James. Uh I think the whole issue of masks, letting people not wear masks, is is really lightweight stuff on behalf of person. I'm happy to wear a mask for Mm. the next five years on the buses and trains and... At the footy and whatever, if that's going to curb the spread of not only this virus but the next virus and the virus. Up. there's nothing wrong with wearing a mask on public transport. That in you know, at all wearing a mask in the, uh, you know, in in the office and 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 uh, uh, no, no problems. I think he's playing with you know fiddling stuff. The big issue is getting people back to work. The big issue is getting small business opened again. The big issue is getting the economy, stopping people getting nervous breakdowns because they're locked in their home. uh, I I think people will happily get out and wear a mask as long as you let them out, as long as you let them travel (laughs) in the state to see their family and those those things. The mask
0: thing, I think, is a nonsense. Yeah, I think it's just sort of signalling to sort of the freedom lobbies that, he stands for freedoms and will stop the government forcing you to do anything, however small, which, because he, he claims to be a big um, libertarian, it says libertarianism and conservatism are really closely linked. So that's where he's coming from there, you know, banging the freedoms drum. Um, the Obviously, the big, big thing, like you pointed out earlier, is Kerry the state's chief health officer, didn't sign off on the um, on the changes. Now, there were some other changes to bringing indoor pools ford um their reopening date doubling the amount of people you can have at a, at a house party those sorts of things and i think those are the things that kerry chant wouldn't have been too happy with um at his press conference he was asked by a couple of journalists did the chief health officer kerry chant sign off on your plan and he kept saying health has signed off on the plan uh, choosing his words very carefully not to say kerry chant has signed off on the plan and then when chris uh Chris Smith, no, not Chris Smith, Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd from Channel 9 last night reported, yeah, Kerry Chant didn't sign off on the plan. Suddenly it made so much sense why Perrottet was saying health signed off on the plan rather than Kerry Chant. Um, And she wasn't there at the press conference. No one from New South Wales Health was. And Perrottet is doing a big, big pivot to turning it from a health crisis to an economic crisis. Uh, Morrison has tried to do that. Morrison's been doing that pivot and Perrottet is really the first state premier to do it I saw Morrison yesterday talking about how um, you know we have to move past the pandemic which I understand what he's trying to say but I feel that choice of words is very ham-fisted because for people with you know the horrible symptoms who got it when they were unvaccinated have the horrible symptoms of long COVID now People who've had loved ones get sick with the the virus. It's going to be very hard for them to move past the pandemic. So
1: well, I think his choice of words was bad. I mean, the word mm. is it was a pandemic, and they're never, never going to walk past it. He's naive if he's talking about wars. Well, it's going to be there, even if we're all vaccinated. It's still floating around, and and, and that's a a nonsense. Nice Could we just move on to then to the you're mentioning Morrison? The whole issue of opening up the borders and opening up that's the state borders and the international borders and he's made statements that this is what he wants to do, indicates that it's been discussed in the federal cabinet, in the national cabinet. But then the premiers come out and tell him he can drop dead, that they're going to decide when they open, and Anastasia says she'll take no notice of him and McGowan won't and, and whatever the others might. It just shows how, you know, we really needed the national means of handling this pandemic. But the fact is that I think Morrison's being very cunning and saying, well, look, I'm the bloke who's trying to open up Australia and there's lots of Aussies out there massively brassed off about, uh, you know, uh, being locked up. And he's played to that, and so I'm the man who's going to let you out and all these other people are going to let you out. And I think it's a pure political ploy. What's your... Thought on the state borders and the international
0: borders, uh, James. Well, d- don't forget that um the the one thing that he's done to pull up the heartstrings, he's done it twice now too. Is Christmas, um saying not only will I have you know Australians home. He said it the th- in the back in 2020 too. I'll have Australians home by Christmas 2020. That was a lie. <laughs> he didn't even come close to that mark. If it was a 1600 yeah. meter race, he sort of fell down at the 200 meter mark that he said it again this year. Uh, he's going to have all Australians home. He's going to have everything open by Christmas. And they love tugging at the heartstrings for Christmas. You just have to remember World War I. Uh, we're sending the boys to Gallipoli. They're going to be home by Christmas. And then they were there for another four years. Um, setting the date of, at Christmas is a great way to bring people to your side because then if you say, I'll have this thing done by Christmas, anyone who stands in the way is the Grinch trying to steal Christmas. And I am absolutely certain that on the Courier Mail or the Australian or the Daily Telegraph, at some point before Christmas, we're going to see a political cartoon where Anastasia Palaszczuk and Mark McGowan are mocked up to look like the Grinch because they're stealing Christmas from Scott Morrison and Australians, according to um, Scott Morrison's favourite newspapers. Now, you're right, he's been very cunning and canny as manoeuvring himself as like the guy who's open, who wants everything open um, because people are, understandably selfish um especially people who are fully vaccinated and it's easy for a fully vaccinated person now to say um yes i would love everything to be open by christmas um i'm fully vaccinated why should i have to be locked up and prevented from traveling yeah christmas? well i, I I'd, I'd
1: like it to be open to Christmas. But the issue is how can we do it i mean yeah my family in the state who want to see it christmas and and i'd love to go but then i'd look at it and i'd say well my granddaughter is about to produce uh, my first great-grandchild in two oh. weeks, and I don't want to cut her off and little Junior on a family holiday when little Junior might get the virus. And so I say to myself, uh, we got to be responsible one way and another in this thing, yeah. you know. And, and and so it's going to be a matter of personal choice. First of all, I don't believe we ever needed to close a single state border. We could have handled it by hotspots, not by closing the borders. And uh, I think that was in breach of the Australian Constitution, which clearly says there should be no restraint of trade and tourism is a trade. And therefore we breached the Constitution by closing down tourism. And what we did, having said all that, we're now in a situation where that's been our policy and we've got to work out, not so well, we shouldn't have done it, Uh, well I I will also say we shouldn't have an issue with how do we get out of all that but how do we get out of it all sensibly and how can we get national leaders who might work as a team in doing this instead of fighting one another I mean we don't really have a happy set of uh, of, uh, state premiers do we?
0: Well no we don't and I think um, the big problem with the question you ask is we don't have a national leader either (laughs) and we have a Prime Minister for the eastern suburbs of New South Wales, um, the North Shore of New South Wales, and nowhere else in the country. Um, I've seen numbers coming out of, like, even though Victoria is the most locked-down city in the world, um, New South Wales has received three times as much federal disaster aid from Victoria than than Victoria. I saw another thing where, even though Victoria is having 1,500 cases a day, the um, Federal Department of Education has said victoria is no longer a hot spot so um, victorian parents will now have to go back to paying school fees uh, to the federal department of education even though they can't actually send their kids to school so the response from up top has been very politicized and is discriminated against all the states so i can really understand why from each state's point of view they've been inclined to bet in and say well uh, you know, Mr. Morrison, if you're going to treat me like this, screw you, we're going our own way. And it's the, the problem with that, of course, is like you say, it means no one's unified. We've got like seven different approaches to getting out of the pandemic.
1: We have one out now. Let's uh, we leave. We've given Scott Morrison a bit of hiding and a few other guys. How about let's look at Twitter and Facebook. I see the prime minister's been having a paddle there now. I'm on Twitter far more than I'm on Facebook. When I'm on both, and they're two different sets of people. People who follow me on Facebook are more social people who want to chat about what they're doing and whatever. want. on Twitter, you get stuck into politicians and big business and whoever you know, else you want to. And there are there's now a crisis on Facebook and Twitter in America. Facebook is being accused of. Of, of all sorts of social unrest, of suicides, of murders, and with people insulting one another, children having nervous breakdowns because they're insulted online and whatever. Now, I suppose it depends on your maturity and what happens and no children can handle it. But if anybody says that anything slightly abusive, I don't mind you getting on and saying, Now, I, I don't think you're right about Scott Morrison or something or other, and we have an argument if you get on and say, everyone, you're an old wop, 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 and why don't you go jump in the creek? I just block those black straight off. Gone, no conversation. But I think young people don't do that. And I'm talking to my son in America on Zoom, and he says the number of suicides in America that are associated with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever has grown enormously, whether the cause of death was suicide or cause of a mental breakdown was, now the issue is, social. You can't get rid of social media. For the first time in my life, I can now criticise a polydirect Previously, I had to write a letter to the editor of that paper along with a million others and I hope he might publish it. But now every day I can get after to Scott Morris if I want to. I don't. But uh, and so it gives us an avenue of doing something. But every good thing that you have has always got some people who abuse it. And so the issue is. How do we handle uh, that abuse and how do we stop its misuse and how do we stop the social impact? Now, what what do you think we should do
0: about it, Jane? Well, um, in in terms of just putting some numbers behind what you've just said, uh, it came out, I think, last week that, like, Instagram's internal research, so their own research, has said that, like, one in three girls who use Instagram have serious body image issues related to their use of Instagram. Uh, like one in three that's enormous you know 33 percent that's huge um and how many people use instagram probably like a, a billion like i don't know a couple of hundred million billion that sort of scope so if you have a third of those the young girls that use it having body image issues related to it um stuff like that can stay with you for life and we're in a culture you know with influences and um those sorts of people like the unhealthy body image issues that have been promoted by those social media stars like the Kardashians and everyone who's sort of since flowed from that, um, that the, the photo sharing sites like Instagram are a real bad hive for um, the body image issues. And it's really, really worrying, but they're set up that way too because they're set up um, to reward vanity and to reward that sort of thing. So it's um, when Instagram's internal research comes out and says, you know, one in three young girls who, um, who use our platform, have serious body image issues from using it. It's sort of like, oh, wh- whose fault do you think that is Instagram? Who's, who's at fault here? Because uh, it's, it's them, but they're not changing anything about their business model. So it's all very hypocritical. They can, you know, say, oh, well, we at Facebook and Instagram support Okay Day and check on people who are having mental health issues. And then turn around and maintain their really predatory business model, which fosters the mental health issues in the first place. So um, the the platforms themselves are very, very hypocritical. It's the same thing with Facebook and disinformation. Um, Like the Senator Richard Blumenthal in the US right now is heading up a big inquiry into how Facebook basically promotes and rewards posting divisive misinformation, Um, especially like it's been a great meeting ground for the January Six people uh, who led those riots in the U.S. on January six and spreading misinformation about. Look at George Christensen on Facebook Clive Palmer on Facebook. Yeah, with their you just, make, just
1: take George Christensen, friend. This is the hip, hypocrisy of uh, of Facebook. They banned Christensen because he was telling people to take all the wrong medicine for COVID and whatever. You, uh, they banned him from it, but then they accepted paid ads from him. Well, they banned him from making commentary, you know, which was just ugly. Now, it seems to me that governments have got to do something about it. I'm convinced that social media has to be brought into account. I believe Morrison won the last election on social media because he totally outgunned Bill Shorten on, on, on social media. So I think governments have got to put some sort of tax on social media that, it, that you've got to pay. To get onto social media, you must pay a fee which goes into some sort of community fund the government sets up for health or education or whatever. But you don't pay Facebook or Instagram. You've got to pay a contribution that goes straight into the public purse. And this will mean that a lot of people who just get on there because it's free will get rid of them uh, and whatever. But then there's got to be certain rules about what you can do and say and certain rules about defamation, which are quite clear and simple, uh, are not going to be involved in court cases. But obviously the Australian government has to decide what content is going to get into this country in one way or another if that's technologically possible, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I think um, rather than make that see beyond the burden of people, um, I'd much rather that fee be on the burden of the companies themselves, because I think one of the great things about social media is how democratic it is, and that anyone, no matter if you're like like you say, you know, anyone now, no matter how poor they are, no matter how marginalised they are, if they have a smartphone or a computer, or even can just go to the library and jump on the internet, there um, are able to directly um, get up their local politician and say, "Hey, why is this the way it is?" And I think that's a really good benefit of social media. So I'd be reticent to levy the fee on the people rather than the companies. It's interesting oh, you raise
1: That's a good debate we can have. I think that there's a lot of people who wouldn't get on it if that, just like they won't go through tunnels in their car because they don't have to pay. Uh, you know, they, they, we'll at least get rid of a few, a few rat now. But we'll continue this conversation. I think it's going to develop. Now, we're getting near a half hour, James, and I think we should just chat a little bit about my... Walk in the little town of Lindville tomorrow. You know, I turned 90 the other day, and I'm going to walk 14 kilometers down the old railway track from the little town of Lindville down to the little town of Moore, where the trains used to go carrying the timber back in the days when my dad worked in the timber mill. And I went to school there 84 years ago. And I'm going back and I'm to them walking from the railway station down and back and and I've been training up and I've worked out and I have proved that I can walk 14 kilometers in three hours. I'm going to do that tomorrow and then got a lunch on in the local community hall. And it's a sellout It can only hold 90 people, only a little hall under COVID rules. And there's 90 paid up, and they're, they're also financially sponsoring me. And I've got people all around Australia financially sponsoring me by. It via the social media, about might You know, people on Twitter and Facebook are saying, where can we send your money, everyone? And that's uh, that's good. And it's going to a United Church charity that I chair called Acts, uh, uh, which, which we look after people in domestic violence, people who need cash to help bad situation, domestic violence, elder abuse, homelessness, job loss, uh, floods, you know, whatever. And it's... a important part of my life. And so I'm going to be there tomorrow doing that. And all I want to say is that I'm trying to prove that oldies are not a burden on the Australian population, that when you get to 90, you're not somebody that the social service system has to carry, uh, that there's a lot of active oldies out there. And I thought I was doing a big hit doing a walk until somebody told me you gave me the names of a couple of people who are 100 who do regular walks every day, you know, around their communities. I'm actually a lightweight at 90. But anyway, it's going to be a good day tomorrow, and I'm sorry you can't be here because of uh, uh, the borders being closed, James, but, uh, you know, uh, I just want you to promise me that when you're 90, you'll, you'll do a big charity walk.
0: Uh, I'll make that promise, and I'll make a further promise to be up there when you do your charity walk when you turn a hundred as well for the <laughs> yeah. lunch then.
1: Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I, I intend to uh, to do that, and that's fine. And so it's gonna be a good day now. Next Saturday we'll be, uh, well, we can go on Saturday. We're going early today because I'm going to Friday because I'm going to Linville tomorrow early. But following Saturday, you and I can review the fact we'll know a bit better about how Parate is going and. And uh, and what have you? And there's a few international issues we should touch, like the shortage economy, COVID is causing, and Brexit, and all these are so causing. Crazy Britain's running out of petrol, for argument's sake, is running out of gas for the gas ovens at home. All call what they call the shortage economy, and I think we gotta have a look at the world economy and work out whether the economic system is handling it all right, don't we?
0: Yeah, no, that's a good topic because that's um, a very important issue. Um, we've been seeing it in Britain lately, as you point out. Um, I hope not to be too dusty next Saturday mornings and going out with some friends Friday night. Of course, next week being um, the first week out of lockdown, I'll be back um, right. to the all right, office right, right, on right. Friday.
1: If you're looking a bit sleepy, I'll stir you up with a bit of good conversation, James. But look, <laughs> thanks for talking to me today. We've enjoyed it and uh, and we'll keep the debate uh, going. and. Talk again next week. Bye
0: for now. Yep, as always. And get in touch with us on um, social media, of all places, to <laughs> either give us a kick up the backside or um, tell yeah. us your thoughts on what we've said this week. So thanks for listening on. we'll see you next week.
1: Good on